The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the program. Great to have everybody here, especially all the new folks. See a bunch of new folks uh, checking into our chat room. Welcome to you all. It's great to see you here. You're uh, obviously very welcome to be with us, and we appreciate your comments and your insights as we uh, as we get this program started tonight and every night. Tonight we're going to be talking about one of the most enigmatic figures, uh, someone who's actually come to popular attention in a way uh, really recently, despite having accomplishments that are numerous and uh, you know really are you know a hundred years in the making. Uh, we're talking about Nikola Tesla. We'll have Dr. Mark Seifer with us tonight, who's written the definitive biography of Tesla. He's also written a second book about Tesla that we're going to be talking about. We'll spend a lot of time on this called Tesla Wizard at War. Again, uh, thanks for being here tonight. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're new on the YouTube channel. Give it a, you know, click the button, whatever you need to do to make that happen. If you're on our Twitch channel, we ask you to do the same thing. Subscribe or follow whatever is more appropriate for you. We appreciate that. Also, if you're inclined to support the program, which we don't always ask people to, to do, but it's very appreciated when people do. Uh, go to go to uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash Johaw, J-O-H-A-W. That's the parent company. That's our production company. And, uh, you know, pledge an amount to support the show. That's very much appreciated. It helps us do all the things we need to do to present the program for you every night. So with all that, I'm going to go to break and get our guest with us. Dr. Mark Seifer will be here again talking about Nikola Tesla tonight. This is a great topic. It's one we always have a lot of fun with, and it'll be no different tonight. It's beyond reality, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We always get excited when we get a chance to talk about Nikola Tesla. And that's what we're going to be doing tonight. Our guest, Dr. Mark Seifer, has written what many people see as the definitive biography on Nikola Tesla. He also has a sequel, which we're going to be talking about tonight, called Tesla at War, the biography, or Wizard at War. The biography is called Wizard, the Life and Times of Nikola Tesla. Dark uh, Dr. Seifer, welcome to Beyond Reality. I'm getting a little ahead of myself here because I'm excited. This is always such a fun topic to talk about. Nice to speak to you, JB. So, um, you know, it, again, it's it's this is one of those uh, individuals in history that seem to have gone largely unnoticed for a great period of time, and then all of a sudden, people started to recognize his contributions and his accomplishments, which are many, and and many of them we're still trying to figure out and understand. When did Nikola Tesla come to your attention? He came to my attention in 1976. I was teaching parapsychology at the time, and in fact, at that time, you know, they were using, you know, remote viewing, Uri Geller and Ingo Swan and uh, uh, telekinesis and uh, life, even out-of-body experiences. I was studying all those things, and I thought departments of parapsychology were going to open up. And one of my good friends, Howard Smuckler, uh, was the editor of Ancient Astronauts magazine, 
uh, Ancient Aliens is now on. It's kind of a precursor to that. And also another magazine called ESP. So I was writing articles for both magazines. I went down to New York to do an article on Lapsang Rampa. He was uh, supposedly a Tibetan Lama who had written a book called The Third Eye, which was about a young uh, psychic Tibetan who was the psychic for the Dalai Lama, the Dalai Lama before the present Dalai Lama. And he could see auras. So if a general came in and was a bad guy, he could see the, the guy had a bad aura, so he said, you know, you better look out for this guy, or the reverse. So you find out later in the story that it's, he's really a British plumber writing as this Tibetan Lama. So it's a very interesting uh, story. Wow. And I wanted to get into the, the life of, of this Tibetan Lama. So I went to, down to New York City to do some research at the New York Public Library, and I found a book where Rampa was in it, and then it was another guy called Nikola Tesla, and it said that he was born on the planet Venus. He had come to the Earth in 1856, and he had given us all these inventions like the induction motor, uh, fluorescent and neon lights, wireless communication, hydro hydroelectric power system, the induction motor. And I said, this is ridiculous. I mean, I thought the <laughs> Rampa story was ridiculous, but come on, one guy did all these things? No way. And I was in the library. And I found an article by Tesla from about 1905 on high-frequency phenomena. I said, my God, the guy actually existed. Let me see if there's any truth that he invented any of these inventions. So I got a, a book of his patents. And once I saw that his patents were real, I kind of – I stayed in parapsychology for a long time. But, I, but this was concrete stuff. You could establish – that he really was uh, an inventor in the field of wireless, that he really was an inventor in the field of hydroelectric power systems. So what I did is I made it my, uh, the topic of my doctoral dissertation to find out why his name disappeared and also to find out if indeed he really was the primary inventor of all these inventions. And I found that he actually was, and I was able to establish that um, in, in that and, and in the book Wizard. So that was 1976, uh, all the way through the early 1980s. So uh, the, one of the big questions is, uh, why did he somewhat disappear from history for such a long time before it was reestablished uh, that he was a contributor to so many things and an inventor of so many things? Part of it had to do with the corporate world. Uh, for instance, I don't know who invented the mouse, but I know that I, I would say Stephen Jobs is, you know he's not the inventor, but you know Stephen Jobs because he started Apple right. and, and, uh, and Steve Wozniak. Right. Uh, so you, you don't really remember the inventors. Once he sold his invention to the Westinghouse company, the Tesla motor became the Westinghouse motor, and the, West, and the mm -hmm. Tesla uh, AC power system became the Westinghouse AC power system. So I grew up knowing Westinghouse. I'll tell you a really funny story, though. Um, I was you know, working on this new book, and I wanted to get a picture of Westinghouse. So I called up Pittsburgh, and I asked you know, the, uh, the operator, could I get the Westinghouse company? She said, what do you mean? I said, the Westinghouse company. She said, there is no Westinghouse company. <laughs> so Westinghouse has disappeared because CBS bought Westinghouse. So now the name Westinghouse has disappeared, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, th that was a big reason. Another reason was corporate jealousy. Uh, um, you have General Electric, and so Charles Steinmetz, who wrote a book on the AC polyphase system in 1897, never mentions Tesla's name. It's like writing a book on the theory of relativity and forgetting, oh, yeah, I forgot to put Einstein's yeah. name in there. Um, and, and the third reason was that Tesla thought he had received pulse frequencies from outer space, which he thought maybe came from Mars. There was a lot of belief that there were 
higher intelligences living on the planet Mars. And so he kind of disappeared into occult circles. And in fact, the book of patents that I got, I got from a UFO organization in 1976. That's the only way you could get books on Tesla. They were all uh, uh, sold by UFO organizations. So that was, those were the three major reasons. And, of course, he failed it ultimately at, at his big tower in Wardenclyffe. That was another reason. He did. You know, we often hear the name Thomas Edison, obviously. And, and uh, Tesla actually worked for Edison for a period of time. Um, but they were rivals in many, many ways. But how does Edison's name survive all of that? Yet, you know, uh, we, we're talking about Tesla tonight and trying to remind people of what his contributions were. I think... Uh First of all, I think that Edison's invention of the uh, phonograph and also the light bulb, they were so incredible at that moment uh, that he became a star. Uh, but he was much more successful financially, and he succeeded uh, in, in all of his inventions. He invented the microphone and the, and the telephone. I mean, he had so many different inventions. Um, Tesla was world famous all the way through the 1890s and the early 1900s. And he built this huge wireless tower out on Long Island called Wardenclyffe, right. and it was funded by J.P. Morgan. And he ran out of money. And uh, I can get into you know the reasons why he failed at Wardenclyffe. But ultimately, Marconi, who had wireless stations all over the world, uh, was succeeding in radio. And he was basing his stuff on Tesla's invention, but Tesla never succeeded in completing Wardenclyffe. And I think that that's another reason why. You rarely, you know, you remember who won the Super Bowl, but do you remember who they beat? Right. You know, you tend to remember winners. And he really, ultimately, he lost. He, he lost in the field of wireless. But for a period of time, he was as famous as Edison because his name was attached to the inventions because Westinghouse needed to put his name up front because of all the lawsuits against uh, General Electric. So that was the 1890s. He was a, a huge star, and everybody knew his name at that time. But then he totally disappeared after the early 1900s. The um, later part of uh, Tesla's life, uh, there's some eccentricities there. Did that uh, work against him? Obviously it can, and it may may people make people look at your past accomplishments less seriously? Did any of that have anything to do with it? Yes, and 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 also the uh, connection to the extraterrestrials. I mean, he always said that he had received pulse frequencies from Martians. I mean, he, you know, he, he couched it a little bit, but he, you know, he kept playing that card, right. and so he was kind of thrown into that occult circle. And he had weird habits. He never got married. Uh, he really would circle a block three times before he'd enter a building. Uh, he was a cleanliness nut, um, and you know, and, and he lived a very long time. So um, when he was very old, he was seen as eccentric, and he really was eccentric. Uh, but uh, in my new book, I really find out a lot more about his later life, which uh, you know we just seem as this old eccentric, and that's not what was happening at all. At all, he was working, um, you know, with uh, high military circles in the run-up to World War II in, in, in three different countries. So there's a whole other side to him, but I completely agree with you. His eccentricities um, and his ultimate failures, so financially, he, was, he, he didn't have much money in the, in the 1920s and 30s. Um, so it was hard for him to, to stay on top of society. Let's talk a little bit. Let's fast forward here, talk a little bit, a bit about his death. There's a lot of talk as well about his papers disappearing, maybe some conspiracies involving uh, some of his notes and his work, uh, maybe U.S. government confiscating some of this stuff. What do we know? 
Well, about three years ago, uh, Kevin Burns, Prometheus Films, the guy who did Ancient Aliens, mm-hmm. he recently passed away. But he hired me to do this uh, television show called The Tesla Files. And the whole point of the show was to try and locate missing files, in particular, what happened after he died. And it's, it's a very interesting story. Um, he had a top-secret paper. It was a particle beam weapon paper. What Tesla realized, they, called the, you know, they talk about the death ray, but if you take a flashlight and you shine it you know, over a distance, it mm-hmm. spreads out and loses all of its power. A laser beam you know, is a, is a, keeps its little tiny narrowness. Um, but he didn't know about you know He might have gotten involved with laser beams, but, but basically he understood that if he sent an electric ray out, it would lose all of its power. So he thought about it, and he came up with the idea of shooting tiny little bullets, microscopic bullets, uh, which were particle beams. And so they could go uh, hundreds of miles an hour, and he could shoot down a plane with them. I mean, that was what he said he could do. Um, so it was a brilliant idea because uh, it, it used a concentration of energy, and instead of you know shooting a cannonball, which weighed a ton, he could shoot these tiny microscopic bullets and still take down a plane. Mm-hmm. So it was economically an amazing... You know, he had all the mathematics to it. I mean, it was incredible. So... When he died, um, we were in the midst of World War One, uh, World War Two. It was 1943, and uh, the Germans were after his his uh, papers. They knew he had because he talked about it in the, in uh, all through the 1930s that he had a particle beam weapon, uh, and uh, so and you know he was hit by a cab also in 1937, and his someone had gone into his apartment and. Uh, he said that, you know, nothing was stolen. He really had a safe in there, so they couldn't break into the safe. Mm-hmm. And it could it could have actually been Germans. So there's all those theories about whether or not he was murdered and, and that kind of thing. Um, but what happened was after he died, the War Department took over his papers because they wanted to search them. And they chose uh, John G. Trump to look at them. Now, for all the years, you know, I knew about, the, I had the Trump report and I had the Trump papers. I never connected him to Donald Trump. I knew the name was the same. But only when we started to make the, the television show, The Tesla Files, did it come to light that he was Donald Trump's uncle. In other oh, words, wow. He was his, his father's brother. Um, and the guy was brilliant. He worked at MIT. And in doing the research for the TV show, what I realized was that I figured out who hired John G. Trump to look at Tesla's papers, and the guy who hired him was Van Ever Bush. Van Ever Bush had been the dean of MIT, of the uh, engineering department, the physics department. And in 1931, when Tesla was uh, 75 years old, he got letters of praise from a lot of different people, Nobel Prize winners, including Einstein, and Van Ever Bush wrote him. Uh, Bush, uh, in the run-up to World War II, had a meeting with Franklin Roosevelt, and he said, you need a scientist to create secret weapons. And Roosevelt says, okay, you're hired. And so Van Eva Bush became the head of secret weapons development for the United States, and he was, in a sense, equal to the generals of the Navy, the Army, uh, the Air Force. And it was the first time ever that a, a private citizen had this kind of rank. In a sense, in a way, he was a way above of these generals, and he had a direct line to President Roosevelt. So when he was the dean of the school, one of his professors was John Trump. 
Trump was working with Van de Graaff, and they were using particle accelerators, and he was an excellent choice to look at, at Tesla's papers. So after he died, uh, Bush was involved not only with uh, the particle beam weapon, but he was in charge of the Manhattan Project. He handed it over to generals later on. But this is the guy, he's in charge of all secret weapons for the, for the United States government, and he's in charge of these two major weapons, an atomic bomb and the particle beam weapon, and they're worried that the Germans, this is 1941, 42, 43, if the Germans get the bomb before we do, they win the war. There's just, you know, no two ways about it. So would Tesla's particle beam weapon shoot down a plane if the plane is carrying the atom bomb to come over to drop a bomb on New York? That's what's going on, and that's what I uncover, you know, in this new book called uh, Tesla, uh, Wizard at War. Um, so that's why it's so important of what happens to his papers. Trump studies the papers and says, you know, it's interesting stuff here, but don't worry about it. You, you can let, uh, you know, the, his, his nephew, who was a, uh, the ambassador from Yugoslavia, you can let him have the papers. And uh, because he would inherit them. And they wanted to set up a museum in, in, um, in Serbia. And there was another group, and I uncovered who this group was, and one of the guys' name was General... L.C. Craigie from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And Craigie was the first person to fly a jet plane, a military jet plane. He was kind of the Chuck Yeager of the day or the John Glenn of the day. Mm-hmm. And he was of a mind that, wait a second, you nuts. Tesla's a genius. You want to hand all these papers over to a communist who's you know, going to go to Yugoslavia, which is, you know, Tito was in charge there, and he's a communist, um, and give it to the enemy. And so the... Uh, the government sat on his papers for 10 years. And the question is, when they, hand, they finally handed it over in the early 1950s, did they give all of the papers to uh, uh, the Serbs uh, and uh, Kasanovich, who was Tesla's nephew, when they set up the museum, or did they keep some of the papers? That was, you know, a big question. And one of the things we uncovered was that the OSS was, in, was interested in his papers. And uh, I came across this guy... Um, Willis George, I think his name was, um, but he was a, he was a thief hired by the OSS, who was one of the the, the people that that uh, went in with John Trump to look at the papers. And so, why would they put a you know, thief in there? So, one of the big questions is, whatever happened to his particle beam weapon? He said he built the particle beam weapon, and he used it as collateral against rent that he owed at the hotel governor Clinton. And when they went to to uh, to get this particle beam weapon which Tesla told the hotel was worth $10,000. It was just an electrical machine worth a couple of hundred bucks. It wasn't the weapon. So I was guessing, you know, well, Willis George was a thief. Perhaps he stole it, and maybe the Wright-Patterson really has this uh, particle beam weapon. And, you know, it's just speculation. You don't know for sure. But that's some of what was happening when he died and what happened to the papers. Put in context for us that time frame, uh, Tesla's passing, and when the project on Long Island was taking place, the the uncompleted uh, tower that he was building for wireless transmission. Put it all in context for us. Yeah. What I think is so fascinating and interesting about Tesla, and uh, I've been working on, you know, uh, a long, like a miniseries, kind of like The Crown, you know, because mm-hmm. what's so interesting to me about his life, it gets more and more interesting as you go through his life, and his life is astounding. Um, you couldn't make up his life. It's just it, it's just astounding. So he works for Edison in the in the, 19, in the 1880s. He has a, a 
fight, basically, with Edison and quits. And Edison is a DC man, and Westinghouse is an AC man, and and the prize is Niagara Falls. Uh, we use we'll use Edison's DC, and Edison is you know the Wizard of Menlo Park. He's practically a god, and he said DC is the best way to go. And Edison and Westinghouse is saying AC is the way to go. Um, and I've got this guy from Serbia who said that AC is the best way to do it. And so that starts the war of the currents. What's so amazing about that story is that Edison could only send electricity about a mile with direct current with power dropping off over distance and only for lighting homes. So if you wanted to have a factory, it had to be right along the river. You had to be right on top of the power source. Um, but if you wanted to light a village, um, if you were close to the power source, then uh, your lights were, were bright, and if you were a mile away, you, they were dim. And they were coal-operated, so there was a tremendous amount of air pollution at the time because there were 3,000 power plants with the, the three competing companies. There was Thompson-Houston was the third company, so you had Edison, uh, Thompson-Houston, and, and Westinghouse. This is in the 1880s and the early 1890s. But the prize was Niagara Falls. If, if Edison had won uh, the War of the Currents, all of the industries in the Northeast would have had to move up to Niagara Falls, and they would have ruined the area. With Tesla's invention, you could send electrical energy hundreds of miles, and you could run factories. You could put it in the forest as long as you get a, a power line into the forest. So you could light up Philadelphia. You could light up New York, Boston, Toronto, um, the whole entire Northeast. That's what um, Tesla's invention was. So you're comparing... Um, Edison's invention, which is very, very primitive, compared to Tesla's invention, which was like just a quantum leap ahead. And Tesla won, and as I said, he became world famous. That story alone is just an amazing story of the War of the Currents and, and the Chicago World's Fair. But when, the, uh, when he is invited to speak as the inventor in 1897 of the hydroelectric power system, what's so crazy about Tesla is he said, you think this thing is great. Now, this is an electrical power system that's unchanged today. It is the electrical power grid that we have. Right. And what's so, what's so beautiful about the hydroelectric power system is it's non-polluting, and it runs forever. It runs on waterfalls. It is the ideal situation. Oh, I just listened to uh, Governor Cuomo's uh, talk tonight about uh, you know, the state of New York. He talks about green energy. Elon Musk talks about renewable energy. That's what this is. The hydroelectric power system is non-polluting and runs forever. It's Tesla's invention. And it did away with 3,000 coal-operating polluting power stations just in the northeast of of America, let alone the whole world. So I think Tesla is the most important single person for slowing down global warming because we switched from coal-operated local power plants to hydroelectric power all over the world. So he's speaking in 1897 as the inventor of this incredible invention, which today is unchanged. And he says, but as great as this is, I got an even better invention. I can send wireless power uh, and jump continents. You know, we don't even need the power lines. And so he freaked out a lot of people and alienated a lot of people because, you know, he was saying, as great as this is, I've got something even better. So that's what he was working on on, on, on Long Island. Uh, but before that, he went to Colorado Springs, and he was, you know, doing inventions. Uh, but he's hidden away in Colorado Springs, and Marconi was, you know, just doing dots and dashes, Morse code, 
That's all he could do with his invention. Tesla was going to send voice pictures and power uh, by wireless. Um, so, so that story is just amazing. So Tesla comes back to uh, uh, New York, and he gets funded by the richest, most powerful man in the world, J.P. Morgan, who gives him $150,000. I don't know what $150,000 in 1901 is worth today. You got to guess at least fifteen million. Maybe I would say, million, yeah, and something like that. And Tesla then finds out that Marconi has um, stolen his his patents. He even mentions it in an article that he wrote. And I, this is all the research I did in in my book Wizard. And uh, so he freaks out. And Morgan goes to Europe every year. So Morgan travels to Europe. So Tesla decides to double the size of the tower because he figures that if if he can just if he only sends uh, you know wireless power to uh, to Europe, well it's actually messages he's going to send to Europe. Um, that's not good enough. He wants to send it to Asia. He wants to send it to South America, to Australia. He wants to send it to the whole world. So if he doubles the size of the tower, he figures that he can send electrical energy to a much wider range. He's envisioning, in a sense, uh, of and he's the inventor of cell phone technology the ability to create an, un, an unlimited number of wireless channels. That's all Tesla's invention, the fundamental idea to that. So he's envisioning basically a lot of what the world that we have today, wireless uh, communication all over the world. Um, where are you located right now? I'm in Cooperstown, New York, upstate New York. Okay, so you're close to me, but still it's wireless, and it's like we're sitting in the room together. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but, but you could be in Australia right now, and we could be talking. That's true. And that's what Tesla's envisioning. So he doubles the size of the tower, and he runs out of money, and then there's a stock market crash. So when Morgan returns, he, he says to Morgan, uh, you caused a stock market crash, which was true. They, it was a race for the Northern Pacific Railroad. And Morgan says, and he says, I need more money. You, you caused a crash, and, I, and now the creditors are after me. And Morgan looks at the contract and says, wait a second, you doubled the size of the tower, and you didn't tell me? Well, you were in Europe, and Marconi stole my patents, and on and on. And, and so Morgan cuts him off. And what's so sad about this is that Morgan didn't just stop funding him. Morgan blocked him from other inventors. Tesla was living in the wall of Astoria at the height of the Gilded Age. This was the most premier place. Uh, kings and queens would come to the United States, to New York. They would stay at the wall of Astoria. Tesla lived there for 20 years. One of the people that he was living with, besides John Jacob Astor, who owned the hotel, who was a multimillionaire, was Henry Clay Frick. Frick was given $60 million by Morgan when he bought U.S. Steel. Carnegie got like $300 million and Frick got $60 million. So one of Tesla's friends is Henry Clay Frick. They both live in the Waldorf. And Tesla says to Morgan, I got Frick. He wants to meet with you. He's willing to give me $100,000 to complete the tower. Please meet with him. And Morgan meets with Frick, and, and Tesla doesn't get the money. And Tesla sets up meetings with uh, with Thomas Fortune Ryan, with uh, Jacob Schiff. With these, they're billionaires in today's money. They're worth hundreds of millions of dollars then, which is you know billions of dollars. And, and he's living amongst these people. And his inventions are a great source of the wealth of Morgan to begin with, because he has a big stake in General Electric. So you have this tremendous irony in this very sad situation. And Tesla says, I know I doubled the size of the tower, but I'm going to advance the world a century. I'm going to have global communication system. And Morgan just keeps blocking him and blocking him. And that's 
in a sense, like the end of his life in a way. He, I noticed that his handwriting collapses in 1906 when Morgan finally totally ends the relationship. And I think, you know, he suffered a nervous breakdown at that time. But it's not at all the end of the story. Not at, not at all. In the, in the new book, Wizard at War, I get into what happens during World War I. Uh, he starts working for the Germans and Telefunken. And what's so interesting about this as is a that, U, uh, just me, uh, Mark, as yeah. a U.S. citizen, he was working for the Germans in Telefunken? Yes. Well. Yes, he became a U.S. citizen around like 1892. Now, we did not get into World War I until 1917. The That's war right. started in 1914. So you've had three years, 14, 15, 16, and part of 17, when the Germans are technically our friends. We're neutral. You know, and here's here's the kicker about all this. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt is the assistant secretary of the Navy. He wants to put the best wireless system on his naval ships. So who does he hire? He hires Telefunken. So the Germans have wireless system on our Navy ships, and Marconi sues the U.S. Navy and sues uh, Telefunken for pirating the apparatus, and. And Franklin Roosevelt uncovers that the real inventor is Tesla, who's working for Telefunken. So there's a big, giant uh, courtroom scene in, in, in uh, 1915 where it's going to decide it as to who's the real inventor of the radio. And Marconi comes over on the Lusitania, <laughs> and uh, he uh, is called away because of the war, and he doesn't go back on the Lusitania. The Lusitania gets sunk. It's sunk, yeah. What did and the Germans sunk it? That's did they, right. Were they trying to kill Marconi? You know, right? Um, so what I'm trying to say is, when Tesla was working for the Germans, it was perfectly above board. There was nothing at all wrong with it. And in fact, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, who's Assistant Secretary of the Navy, had basically hired uh, Telefunken. So the war uh, didn't allow the resolution of that. And so, and Marconi was so huge at that time. He had he had maybe a thousand wireless. Stations all over the world, um, so so people knew him as the, as the inventor of the radio. Right. Eventually, that got overturned. But so that's World War One, um, and that whole story is just you know beyond belief. And then now you're into the 1920s. The war is over, and Tesla has the secret weapon. Uh, and then World War Two starts to brew. And what I uncovered was all his negotiations with the British. Um, he's you know, I mentioned Fanny V. Bush, who was the head of secret weapons development for um, for America. Well, Tesla was also working with the head of secret weapons development for the British Empire. His name was General McNaughton. He was uh, number three man uh, involved with being uh, the head of Allied forces. They were either going to hire Eisenhower, Mountbatten, or McNaughton. That's who this guy is. He's huge. And you look at pictures, he's on the cover of Time magazine, he's on the cover of Life. I have all the letters between Tesla and McNaughton. And he says, you got to use my um, wireless uh, particle beam weapon, because if you have my particle beam weapon and the Germans decide to invade England, you can take down all their planes. And so, there's, so he's negotiating with basically one of the heads of, of Allied forces uh, in the run-up to uh, World War II. Um, so that's, you know, putting that all together. And he's also negotiating with Stalin. Stalin was associated with the Nazis, but eventually when, when Germany invaded, you know, uh, Russia, they became our allies. And he had sold details of the particle beam weapon to uh, the Russians. And I was able to get 
uh, recently declassified uh, letters uh, between the Russians and Tesla. And I, was, I found, which I never knew, he was negotiating with Joseph Stalin. So he was negotiating with the very head of Russia, the very head of, the, of uh, secret weapons development for the British Empire, and we uncovered, you know, during the making of the Tesla Files, the television show, Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, right before Tesla died, Roosevelt writes a letter that he wants the lowdown on Tesla. And why does he want the lowdown on Tesla? Because he's, he wants to know as much as he can about the particle beam weapon, because it might be the only way to protect us from a nuclear bomb. So that's, you know, a lot of what's wow. uh, going on in this new book. Well, I have a whole bunch of questions on what you just said. Um, I'm going to try to get through these, but I do want to point out, someone in our chat room said that, um, what was the figure you said? $150,000 Tesla was given in 1901 by yeah. Morgan. It's It would equate to about $44 million today. Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds definitely right. Um, did Morgan intentionally, did he recognize what he was doing to attempt to stop something in progress because it could have threatened other industries and other people versus did he just give up uh, confidence in Tesla, therefore not fund him after that? Do we have any idea? Yes, I think both answers are correct. Morgan wanted wires. We have computers now. You know, you could be on a wireless telephone. How do you, how do you bill a wireless telephone? We have computers that can track all this. But how would you track a wireless telephone in 1901? So he wanted wires because he, you could put a meter on, on all the use of the electricity. Um, he had rubber plantations, and he had the shipping lines. So rubber was in Africa, so the rubber would have to come over. you have to pay for that, and there would be the shipping. He had copper mines, um, and, and obviously you need copper. And he also had timber. He had big um, uh, places where timber was in Alaska and other places. So Tesla threatened the copper industry, the rubber industry, and also the timber industry, and also threatened all the land that you would need to put up the telephone poles. So there was all of that going on uh, as part of the, uh, the reason that Morgan blocked him. And and did uh, Morgan recognize this in his initial funding, or or did he not recognize what he was funding right away? And then when he realized that that's when, okay, normal money going to you, uh, Tesla. I think it evolved. I think Morgan was always a little skeptical about Tesla, mm-hmm. but what, what, Tes- what Tesla was promising Morgan was that Morgan could get the stock prices in New York when he went to England. And, and basically Wardenclyffe was really basically set up for a wireless telephone. Uh, but he was going to experiment with sending wireless power as well. What Tesla realized, and what I, what I, it took me, uh, this is like 40 years of research. Um, Tesla, you know, you see the big picture of the Wardenclyffe Tower. It has this, it looks like a mushroom with a giant uh, top at the, at the top, and you think the electricity is uh, being radiated from the top of the tower, and that's not what's going on at all. The top of the tower is collecting the energy, and it's driving it through the earth. Tesla was a genius, a mathematical genius, and he knew the size of the tower and the speed of light and the distance that he would need so he could alter the wavelengths. So if he wanted to send electricity, say, from uh, Long Island to Chicago, let's say it was 1,200 miles, he would get a wavelength that's 1,200 miles long, so it would land in Chicago. If he wanted to send it to San Francisco, it would be 3,000 miles, so he would alter the wavelength so it would land in San Francisco, 4,000 miles to Berlin. So he was driving the energy through the earth. 
and he was calculating the length of these these wavelengths. So he had all of that figured out. And uh, so Morgan, to answer your question, Morgan wanted the stock prices. He was hoping just for a wireless uh, system from Mm -hmm. England to America. And then once he saw that Tesla was making it a much more bigger enterprise, um, it scared Morgan. And I found a quote in one of the biographies of Morgan where I think Morgan had second thoughts. Um, I don't think... you know, he wasn't all bad. I mean, he did a lot of good things, and he set up, you know, hospitals, and and he funded colleges, and and uh, so he had a good side too. Um, he wasn't just a Robert, a Robert Baron, and I I think it wasn't. You know, people are complicated, and I think once he made a decision, he could he was unwilling to change his mind. Um, but I think that in retrospect, once he saw wireless was becoming more and more prominent, I think he had second thoughts that. Maybe he had made a mistake. So, maybe he should have funded Tesla. Yeah, did I hear you correctly? His his primary interest in this project was that he wanted to get real time or as real time as possible stock prices in England when from uh, New York. Yes, that was, <laughs> that's what he wanted. <laughs> it's so crazy. Um, I. You know this whole Morgan uh, funding. It, it's really kind of uh, poignant to to uh, look at someone like that and recognize how uh, powerful he was. Not only wealthy and was able to fund or not fund on his own, but he was obviously able to influence others in their decision making as to whether to fund uh, Tesla in these projects. There's nobody comparable to Morgan. You would have to combine uh, Ted Turner and Bill Gates and uh, Elon Musk and a couple other people to come up with Morgan. Morgan controlled everything. I have a political cartoon in the new book. It's a picture of Morgan as the king, and he's got these minions, and one of them is the president of the United States, another is the king of England, another is the Kaiser of Germany. I mean, Morgan controlled banking, shipping, uh, you know, everything you could think of, coal, uh, every industry. Uh, He was in charge of it all. Um, He was the king of the world. He really was. So you have the greatest inventor in the world, uh, combining forces with with the most powerful man in the world, and Tesla just couldn't envision that he couldn't talk this guy into another hundred thousand. I mean, Morgan was buying paintings for a hundred thousand right. dollars. Hundred thousand was nothing to Morgan. What, what about this concept of wireless electricity? We hear a lot about this when we talk about Tesla, uh, and we talk, but we hear about it from a theoretical standpoint. Was it ever demonstrated? Well, we demonstrated in in the television show. Um, Travis Taylor is a brilliant physicist that I was working with, and uh, I discussed how to do it with him, and uh, it's all done on the show. What we did was we set up two Tesla um, coils. about They weren't that far apart, maybe 30 or 40 feet apart, but electricity was sent through the earth from one coil to the other coil, and the other coil was attached to a boat, and the boat was... Um, Run on this on this lake. So we actually transferred electrical power uh, by means of wireless from one tower to another tower, and then ran a boat uh, through that. If we had had more time, we would have been able to simply run the boat from from the one tower. But that would have taken more time. And Travis was he's got two two PhDs. Can you imagine that? He's got two wow. PhDs in physics, and he's got like three master's degrees. And he figured out how to do this on a weekend. So this is just on a small scale, and we also lit light bulbs uh, through the ground. Um, and I said, I said, Travis, you know, you have to stick it in the ground, see if it works, and then lift it up and see if it goes off. So it's not just going through the air, but it's going through the earth. And that's exactly what we did in the television show. 
Um, so we did establish that on a very small scale. Um, and then, you know, there were the Corum brothers, uh, Jim and Ken Corum, they're out in Texas, and they've got a wireless tower. Um, and they're convinced that they are, have the ability to send uh, wireless power um, from one tower to another. I think they there's some uh, difficulties that they've run into in some of the funding. Um, but you can, you know, see their patents, the Corum, C-O-R-U-M, uh, they're just brilliant people. Um, so they've said that they have demonstrated. And what they say all the time is just read Tesla's work. And that's what I found. I mean, Tesla, was a, he was a brilliant writer, too. Uh, he writes so well. His autobiographies were wonderful to read. And um, so, yeah, I think it has been demonstrated. What about, um, you know, I know you're not a physicist. I know you're not claiming to be. You're, you're, uh, you know, you've chronicled the life and the accomplishments of Nikola Tesla, among other work that you've done. But um, when we look at this idea of wireless power, um, you know, 100 years later, basically, we still don't see it being used in any meaningful way. We've you've done some experience to prove it's possible, but what is the hurdle? Is it is is it an inefficient way to deliver power? Is it still this idea that you can't meter it the way uh, you can meter a, a, a wired uh, supply of power? What's the hurdle? I uncovered a paper in the 1920s. Um, it was written by Tesla and a guy by the name of John Flowers. And they were trying to get the government to fund exactly what you're talking about. And one of the concerns of the government was, what happens when you send, you know, zillions of electrical volts through the earth uh, to transfer from one place to the other? How does that affect the trees? Uh, How does it affect the area if you live near that place? That's one of the concerns, and I think it's a legitimate concern. Um, Tesla almost got killed a couple of times, uh, you know, dealing with these tremendous electrical powers that he was sending. So I think that that is one of the one of the holdups, um, and you know we don't need it, you know, because we have something else, um, so we get, we can get around it. Uh, but so even even that, in in a, in a in a smaller sense, let you know, right now uh, when you build a, a a new housing development, say, you know, there, there's an effort obviously to bury the power lines. You don't want to see new telephone poles put up if you can help. You know, the, that whole transmission process is an ugly one, let alone uh, somewhat inefficient. It seems as though there might be um, some sense in actually testing this in just limited areas, you know, supply a, a housing development with power wirelessly or something like that. But we're not seeing that either. either. So I'm, I'm assuming from a scientific perspective, uh, Tesla wasn't able to carry his vision to completion, at least perfection, and no one else has been able to pick up the mantle and do it for him. Yes, and I would say, though, that the closest is the Corum brothers. I'm not exactly sure of some of the reasons. Part of it is military reasons uh, that they're being funded by. Um, but they have patents uh, where they explain uh, how this can be done. But I agree with you. Um, and I do think, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Travis Taylor uh, was able to demonstrate this on the Tesla files uh, on a very small scale. Um, but it's certainly worth looking into. One of the things that Jim Corum told me was, you know, when we have a, a, your house, um, you're, not, you're not charged electricity until you plug in whatever unit you've, you've got. So, you know, there's electricity that's available, but you're not charged until you use that electricity. Right. And, he, and he said the wireless system works the same way. And Tesla said that, too. Um, so it's available, but, it, but until you use it, 
uh, then it's, then they know that that you're using it. I think with sophisticated computers now that they could tell. Right. Uh, but I don't really know the holdup. But I do think there's a big mystery now because, you know, you can Google it and see the this wireless tower that the Corn Brothers had built in Texas, um, and all they did was study Tesla. I've known them for thirty or forty years, um, and uh, it's a great question. It's a really a great question. And another question was, I think we need to build, you know. A, a way station on the moon. I mean, they talk about Mars, but I think we should start with the moon. And one of the ideas is, can you beam up energy right. from from here to the moon? Um, is that is that a possibility? Maybe it would just use solar energy. I don't know. Um, but there are some practical reasons for doing this. Um, so it's a great question that you have. I don't totally know the answer. We're talking tonight with Dr. Mark Seifer. His books include Wizard, The Life and Times of Nikola Tesla, and Tesla, Wizard at War. Um, the, the, the Wizard at War book, Tesla, Wizard at War, uh, Mark, is that, uh, that's relatively new, isn't it? Yes, it actually will, will be out in April. Oh, it's um, not it, even out yet. Okay. No, you can pre-order it, uh, but it'll be out in April. And I'm looking forward to seeing the first galley, frankly. Um, I want to get back to this this Edison versus Tesla discussion for just a minute here because it's curious to me. Did did Edison um, recognize at any point? Do we have any evidence that he recognized at any point that Tesla's uh, electrical system and vision was actually the superior one, but just wouldn't admit defeat and wouldn't acknowledge that he had been bested? I don't think he knew it during the height of the War of the Currents. No, he didn't. And, and what happened in 1893, uh, you know, the, uh, was the uh, Chicago World's Fair. Um, and Edison's company was actually in debt, and Morgan was funding Edison's company. And Elihu Thompson had pirated Edison's light, electrical light bulb, and so Edison was in a legal battle with Westinghouse. And so Westinghouse and Edison were spending, in those days, like $80,000 or more in legal fees and Thompson Houston was escaping it. So he he had a profitable company, even he's pirating Edison stuff and making a ton of money. So Morgan said to L. U. Thompson, Let me buy you out and and Thompson and L. U. Thompson says, What do you mean buy me out? You, you know, you're three million dollars in debt. And so Morgan says, Okay, you buy us out, I don't care. So Edison Electric became General Electric. They took off Edison's name. And there's a great scene in uh, one of the books, uh, Biographies of Edison, where he's coming back to his uh, his electrical company, and he sees the name Edison being taken off the marquee and replaced by the name General. So Edison Electric becomes General Electric. And after 1893, he had nothing whatever to do with electricity. He moved into making motion pictures and other industries. He, he completely divorced himself from that. So by 1897, once Tesla hydroelectric power system uh, was you know, inaugurated by Westinghouse and, they, and Tesla spoke as the inventor, Edison realized at that point that he had made a mistake, that he had backed the wrong horse, in a sense, because Tesla had worked for him. Um, and there had been a fire in, in uh, Tesla's lab, and it was, it was wiped out. And Edison provided him space. That was in 1895. So I would say after 1893, after Edison was taken off his own company and, and left, and he was really mad at Morgan, um, I think his whole feelings toward Tesla changed. And they became friends. I have a section in the new book of all the letters between Tesla and, and Edison. And they really became friends after that. The first book is The Life and Times of Nikola Tesla. The second one is very specific, uh, talking about uh, Tesla's involvement 
in uh, warfare and weaponry and that kind of thing. What showed up on the horizon, and maybe it was while you were writing the first book, that made you recognize this was an important uh, approach to take in a second book? Um, I had actually... I wanted to write the definitive book on Wardenclyffe, and I'm not a physicist, and, and actually the Ken Corm in particular and Jim also helped me with a lot of the stuff. And the first ma- manuscript that I had was uh, 275,000 words. And uh, Michaela Hamilton, the editor-in-chief at Kensington, said, I can only print a book that's 100,000 words, Mark. I, yeah, I, I fell on the floor when I looked at the <laughs> manuscript that you gave me. <laughs> So I had to cut out the whole, I have one section on Wordcliffe, but I had to cut out 175,000 words out of, out of the manuscript, when I think it was the best thing, the best advice she could have given me, because it's a much tighter book. But then I had to refocus as to what it was. So I, uh, there is a section on Wordcliffe, but it, I didn't go into all the detail that I wanted to about that. And there's a few other sections. I mentioned John Flowers, that whole section, 1920s, when he had a, a world wireless system that that Tesla and Flowers were trying to sell the Navy. That that's would be in, a, in another book if I get around to writing it. And what happened was when I started to make the television show, The Tesla Files, um, uh, I got very interested uh, in Van Eva Bush. Um, I had never figured out, you know, I knew that John Trump had was looking at Tesla's papers, but once I learned that he was part of this uh, secret weapons uh, development that is, the guy who hired him had been the dean of MIT when he had worked there and then was now working directly for Franklin Roosevelt on the Manhattan Project and other things. That got me really interested in it. So I got out all my old papers that I'd gotten through the Freedom of Information Act and put them all together to see who knew about the particle beam weapon. And I have a whole giant list of all the people that knew about Tesla's secret weaponry papers. Um, you know, I go all the way back to 1976, and everyone's looking for the papers. Margaret Cheney had written a book on it, and she said she saw the papers, but no one ever believed it because she never produced them. And uh, so now we're up to 1984. That's a long time. You know, four, four, it's eight years later. I'm speaking at the first International Tesla Conference, and one of my friends, Dr. Andrea Perharich, was there. He's the guy who brought Uri Geller to the world. And he's supposed to speak on um, wireless communication and how it can affect brainwaves. And instead, he uncovers the particle beam weapon paper. He had been he'd given it. He'd been given it. And our minds were blown because this was a paper for eight years. Everyone had been looking for and looking for it because we knew that the thing had to exist. Right. And he uncovers it and presents it to the entire world. And it was published, you know, in the in the in the, uh, in the proceedings. So I spoke to Puharich, and he said, you know, that he thought it came from Ralph Bergstresser. So I called up Ralph Bergstresser, um, and he didn't really admit it, but you knew that he was really the guy who, who had given it to him. Bergstresser was working with Tesla in, in the late 19, I mean, the early 1940s, the last six months of Tesla's life, and Tesla was giving the U.S. government all the secrets to the particle beam weapon. We were at war, and Tesla was a patriot. So he gave all the details of the paper to Ralph Bergstresser, who was working for Franklin Roosevelt, and uh, and Bergstresser kept must have kept the copy, and he sat on it for forty years because it was nineteen eighty four and nineteen eighty three thereabouts when he gave it to um, some guy who gave it to Puharich. 
Um, so I had a, a long discussion with him. And what happened in between the time of writing Wizard and writing Wizard at War, the, the new book, um, the uh, FBI declassified a lot of their papers. So I had these papers with all these you know, censored, redacted areas. And the new papers, the exact, exact same papers without the redacted areas. And I was able to track a lot more about Ralph Bergstresser because they, they now revealed his name. So I had a ton, ton more information on this guy. And he, he was very interesting. He worked for a propaganda organization that, that um, Franklin Roosevelt had set up. And he was in uh, Southeast Asia uh, and trying to, you know, get people in Burma and, and China to uh, dislike the Japanese because the Japanese were the uh, were the enemy. And he was. We used disinformation and propaganda to make it, you know, uh, against uh, uh, the Japanese. We actually had a propaganda organization during the war. It was amazing, and, and Burke Strasser was working for that. But he was also an electrical engineer. And uh, so, I don't know, all of that's in there. It was just a fascinating story. What is the status of the particle weapon technology now? Is that something that's being used under a different name, maybe, or don't we know? I, I think that the railgun is, is a, an evolution of that. I mean, we have to look, it's 50 years later, and no one has a particle beam weapon, but we have laser weapons now, right. and we have something called a railgun. A railgun works on the same principle. What I realized, I tried to find the etiology, the beginnings, where Tesla got his ideas from. Tesla had a, a pop gun when he was a kid. It was a, used air pressure and popped out a cork. And he would actually shoot crows with this thing, and there'd be a string attached to the cork. And if you got close enough to the crow, when you pump the gun and boom, out popped the cork, you could knock a, a crow down. Um, and that's the same principle. It uses repulsion. So he sets up an electrical belt of, let's say, a negative charge, a very powerful negative charge, and he has these tiny little negatively charged particles. So when the negatively charged particle uh, comes in contact with the negative charge of the belt and you have a, a, a cannon, a, a way for it to shoot out, boom, it shoots out uh, at a very powerful uh, you know, uh, speed. And I liken it to, uh, you know, when you, in the winter when you walk on a rug and you get a shock, you know, that, that powerful shock. Sure, yeah. Well, that's the kind of thing that, that's involved there. So he used repulsion, and I think he got the idea from the pop gun when he was a kid. Um, so the rail gun works on the same principle. A rail gun shoots out uh, an object using repulsion, and the Navy has rail guns right now. And I think it's the, the, I think it's the evolution of the particle beam weapon. Uh, to the modern technology and weapons of today. That makes a lot of sense. Um, we're, we don't have a whole lot of time left with you. I do want to ask about something that uh, probably is of particular interest to this audience and others who, uh, you know, liked, like the UFO discussion and the extraterrestrial discussion. You mentioned that uh, Tesla spent quite a bit of time later in his life, especially with an interest in those types of uh, ideas, uh, maybe intelligent life on Mars, that kind of thing. How involved did he get into that? Um, he believed in the plurality of worlds, uh, which I believe in, too. I mean, I, I can't believe we're the only intelligent species in the universe. Right. That's basically what that is. But there's another topic which I think, uh, I, I think we should mention, and that is that Tesla invented 
an ozone generator. Yeah, I, I, de- I, definitely, I definitely want to get to that, but I just wanted to clear up any, you oh. know, this this idea of, of Tesla and extraterrestrials, Mars, that kind of thing. Was there any more to that, or should we move on? Um, I will well, have, believed, we will have he time. He believed in the plurality of worlds, and that, yeah. that really was, uh, um, I think it makes total sense. In fact, I saw Isaac Asimov speak, you know, when he was alive, and I was a kid in college, and he totally dismissed UFOs. And I said, I said, Mr. Asanoff, how many stars are there in the universe? And he started to mumble, you know, he started to stutter because he knew where I was going. And sure. of course, there has to be life elsewhere. So there's, you know, there's all this prejudice against uh, the belief in UFOs, but there's got to be uh, intelligences out there. And, and Tesla was a, pro- a strong proponent of that. But was he working on any devices or anything that was, you know, that were designed to try to communicate or anything like that? Yes. This, the particle beam weapon was not just a particle beam weapon. They were, you know, we have uh, these microwave trunk lines. The same principle was used for that. Mm-hmm. And he said that he could direct power to different planets. And so there's a lot more to this particle beam weapon. The, the whole technology involved also had a non-war aspect to it. And it was to try and transmit power to different planets. And in that sense, he was trying to... Uh, deal with the possibility of people living on other planets. Wow. Uh, such such an interesting uh, individual and a brilliant mind. Now let's talk about what you just brought up a minute ago. We are still in the middle of what seems to be an ever-increasingly in, ever dangerous pandemic. And um, you uh, started to point out just a moment ago that Tesla actually did some work that might be an answer, answer to some of our problems here. T- tell us what we're talking about. Well, I, I want to put it in context. In 1881, 82, 83, as I mentioned with Edison, everyone believed in direct current. Alternating current changes its direction of flow at thousands of times a second. How do you make it go in one direction? And everyone assumed it was impossible. Tesla figured out how to do that by putting two uh, currents out of phase with each other and everything that I talked about. So instead of only being sent electricity a mile with power dropping off of a distance, you could send energy hundreds of miles. It's a quantum leap. We're at the same point right now with the COVID thing. The medical community, the FDA in particular, says the only solution is a vaccine. There's nothing wrong with a vaccine. I'm all for the vaccine. But to wait a year for a vaccine, we're looking at 400,000 dead people just in America alone, the stopping of civilization. Tesla invented an ozone generator in 1896 and started to sell these machines to medical field all throughout the early uh, 1900s. He was trying to raise money to resurrect Wardenclyffe. And this started a whole new industry called uh, ozone therapy. In World War I, ozone was used to disinfect wounds. And the more research I did, I came across these two medical doctors, Dr. Howard Robbins and Dr. Robert Rowan. Uh, Rowan went to Johns Hopkins University and also uh, University of California at San Francisco to get his medical degree. He's a brilliant, brilliant man. In 2014, Ebola broke out in Sierra Leone in West Africa. And Rowan said, uh, I know that ozone therapy will kill the Ebola virus. He studied, he's been an ozone therapist for almost 30 years at that time and knew that it would kill the Ebola virus. Ebola has a death rate of about 60%. In other words, if a person gets Ebola, they're going to die. COVID has a death rate of maybe 2%, something like that. So if a nurse gets COVID, she's got a 97, 98% chance that she'll live. But if uh, if she caught Ebola, 
she probably would die. We're in a whole different situation. So when Ebola broke out in West Africa in 2014, no one knew how contagious it was. And Dr. Rowan calls up his friend, Dr. Robbins, in New York. Rowan's in California, says, would you like to go to Africa and help uh, cure the Ebola epidemic? And Dr. Robbins says, what are you out of your mind? I'm not going there. And Rowan says, well, I'm going anyway. So Robbins says, wait a second, I'm not going to let him get him get all the credit. Okay, I'll go with you. So the two of them go. And they wanted to use Robin's technique. There are two different kinds of technique for ozone therapy. One technique is to uh, extract blood, put it in a canister, treat it with 97% pure oxygen and 3% ozone, and then put the blood back into the person. Um, and the other way is what Robbins does. He did both uh, methods. It's called DIV, direct intravenous, where you actually inject the two gases, 97% oxygen, 3% ozone, directly into the bloodstream, and it'll kill the virus. Now, Dr. Robbins has done this since 1995, over 25 years. He's done this with his medical crew over 300,000 times. No one has ever died. You don't get embolisms. He knows what he's doing. These two guys flew to Africa knowing that they were going to treat each other with ozone therapy uh, so that they would be protected against Ebola. Fortunately, Ebola does not spread as easily as COVID. But if a new virus were to come that could kill like Ebola and spread like COVID, and we didn't use ozone therapy, it would be the end of civilization. We're already looking at four or 5,000 people dying a day right now. I mean, it's insane. So what I learned through all this research and through Tesla's technology, basically, he started all this thing. They go to Africa. They train 80 medical personnel at Sierra Leone. They train the president. They, they uh, inject the president with ozone therapy, the president of Sierra Leone. And the head of the World Health Organization in Sierra Leone tells the medical crew at the end of the week that if any of you use this on the uh, actual people that are dying of Ebola, all your funding will be uh, removed and you'll be arrested. <clears throat> so they were blocked from using it. So they left at the end of the week, and they were very unhappy. They had trained 80 different doctors and, and nurses. Well, four of them got infected with Ebola, and they secretly gave themselves ozone therapy, and they were cured, um, which is just amazing. They wrote about it in the African Journal of uh, Infectious Diseases. Now, I've sent this information to Governor Cuomo. I've sent, uh, starting in April, I sent this information to Governor Gavin Newsom in California, Governor Raimondo here in Rhode Island, uh, and another, a dozen other governors. I've sent it to 40 different senators, um, all by name. I've sent it to Republicans and Democrats. I've sent it to uh, many congressmen. I've sent it to Dr. Fauci many times. I've sent it to Dr. Burks, the blonde lady that stands next to Fauci, sure, yeah. many times. Um, now, what the problem is that the FDA has said that ozone uh, is a toxic gas with no medical application. If you Google it, that's what you see. And that's what they're doing. So if I send this information, they do some research, oh, ozone's a toxic gas with no medical application. Well, here's the reason why that is not correct. There are two main reasons. In 2001, Dr. Paul Wentworth, he's a chemist, uh, he's a PhD, working for Scripps Institute, discovered that our own antibodies produce ozone. Ozone is a natural disinfectant. It's, oh, people use ozone generators to disinfect water supplies, to disinfect the contaminated spaces. Um, 
But this is a way, to, you know, a, a, a correct way to inject it into the bloodstream and kill the virus. So if our antibodies use ozone to kill uh, uh, pathogens, that we manufacture, our own body antibodies manufacture ozone to kill incoming pathogens, then the FDA cannot be right because that's a medical application of ozone. The second reason why they're wrong, and I hope, you know, your listeners uh, Google this, Dr. Hernandez, Alberto Hernandez, in Ibiza, Spain, he's not the only one, but he's the main one right now, in, in uh, April, this is April, before the pandemic really kicked into high gear, uh, in the Ibiza, which is uh, the, uh, the newspaper of Ibiza, Spain, uh, a man by the name of Ryan King, R-H-I-A-N King, wrote this article that Dr. Hernandez says, I was going to put my patients my COVID patients, on ventilators. I gave them ozone therapy, and in two or three sessions, the results were spectacular. I sent that information to those governors, to the senators, etc. Nothing. They didn't do a thing with it, Dr. Fauci. <clears throat> then Dr. Hernandez continued with this research with four other medical doctors in Spain. They chose 18 COVID patients, split them into two groups, Nine got ozone therapy, nine with the control. The nine who got ozone therapy were out of the hospital in seven days. The, nine, the other nine were out of the hospital in 28 days. I strongly believe that if Dr. Howard Robbins and Dr. Robert Rowan, they both want to do this, if they were to train medical personnel right now, uh, there were 150,000 people in the ICUs throughout the country. They're being overloaded. If they were given ozone therapy, a lot, very large percentage of them would be walking out of the hospital free and clear of this disease within a week. That's how powerful this is. Wow. And the, the key to this information, again, is to look up Paul Wentworth and also look up uh, Dr. Alberto Hernandez, Hernandez in Ibiza, Spain. And you'll see I'm not making any of this up. There's one other man I'd like to mention. It's Dr. Gerard Sonnen. He's in New York City. He sold ozone generators. He wrote a an article before COVID. He wrote an article about SARS, which is a, a simpler, a similar virus as the coronavirus, and also about MERS, which is a Middle Eastern virus similar, and ozone therapy. So it's MERS, SARS, and coronaviruses, and ozone therapy. That's the name of his article by Gerard Sonnen. And he explains very carefully that not only will ozone therapy kill the virus, it'll kill all mutations of the virus because we're dealing with this new mutation. That's right. This is, so this is the solution. What's so interesting to me about this is that God or Mother Nature, whatever you want to call this, this our creator, gave us ozone as a way to kill incom incoming pathogens. I looked at President Trump when he, was, he got the, corona, the COVID virus. He was cured in like three days. What he was given was coronavirus antibodies. Now, he probably got hundreds of thousands of these antibodies. They all produced ozone, and they knocked out that virus. He was cured in three days. We all saw this. And he was in a scary position. He had to get oxygen, and, yeah. and you know, how did he get cured? Uh, so what ozone therapy is, it's simply enhancing what our own body is already doing. We need oxygen. It's 97% oxygen, and we produce ozone. And so I've been sitting here, you know, since April, early actually March, with shaking my head. I felt like I was sitting on the biggest story in the world, and I had the solution. And I, I couldn't get any of these uh, leaders 
to listen to me. It's very, very frustrating. I just tonight I saw uh, Governor Cuomo, Cuomo's uh, excellent uh, speech, and I, I'm writing him a letter. Um, but I think that this information has to get out. Um, again, it's just a natural process. And what's so interesting, I would never have known about this if it wasn't for Tesla. The same uh, uh, conference that I'd been in in 1984 when Puharich unveiled the the uh, particle beam weapon paper, there was another guy by the name of Dr. George Freebot, F-R-E-I-B-O-T-T, and I had never heard of ozone therapy. This is 1984. And he said, I had a man dying of cancer. He was riddled with tumors. I injected him with ozone therapy, and the tumors were shed, and he was cured. And I thought, nah, I don't know, this is a little wacky. Well, I found an article from Science Magazine from 1980 which said that uh, ozone... Uh, uh, you know, stops the development of human cancer cells. And so I put both of those things in Wizard, uh, Life and Times of Nikola Tesla. I put that inf information in there. The book was published in 1996. So I learned about this in 1984. And then in 1996, I put it in the book. No one had ever mentioned it. No one ever brought it up. I never thought about it again until 2020 when the uh, COVID crisis happened. And I said, you know, free but said something important, and I, I kept it in my, the back of my head. And once I started to do research, and I found the article by Dr. Gerard Sonnen on uh, ozone therapy, which was written before the COVID crisis, and then I interviewed both the, the two doctors, Howard Robbins and, and Robert Rohn, who went to Africa, and I wrote an article on uh, how they went to Africa and all the work that they did. They've each been ozone therapists for over 30 years. These guys are experts. They know what they're doing, but the FDA has blocked them. Uh, and so we, we've got this crazy situation of the FDA saying that um, ozone is uh, a toxic gas with no medical application. Well, how do you explain Dr. Alberto Hernandez, who says, um, you know, I was going to put them on a ventilator, but I put them on ozone therapy, and two or three sessions they were cured. So that's the crazy world I'm living in, and I see it's comparable to Tesla. Everyone thought that Tesla was nuts, right. that no one could have a, an invention which could harness a, a current going in two different directions in thousands of miles a second, and, and I think it's the same thing now. We have to change our mindset. It's not just um, vac the vaccine. Oh, the other thing about a vaccine, the, the whole premise of the vaccine is that the vaccine doesn't cure us. We cure ourselves. That's right. What the, vac what the vaccine does is it gives us a, a castrated form of the virus. Um, and so we build an antibody against it. It's actually just the spike they're giving you, uh, uh, you know, a, a rendition of the spike. They're not giving you the actual virus. So it's the, and ozone will disable not only the virus itself, it'll punch holes in its lipid envelope and its exterior envelope, but it'll also disable the ability for the virus to bond to the host does it in two ways, and it also modulates the system. The reason why people are dying of COVID right now, they're not dying from the virus. What they're dying from is an overreaction of the immune system. Since this is such a new virus, the immune system says, oh, my God, yeah. I didn't recognize this thing's been in, in the body for four or five days, and they overwhelm the, the uh, body with killer cells, and you start to uh, destroy your own lungs. And so you have a collapse of the, of, so it's our own immune system which is killing us, not the virus. It's an overreaction. Ozone therapy modulates that, stops that from happening. It's really our solution. I think the man of the future, the woman of the future, whatever, the person of the future, ozone will be just like, uh, you know, getting penicillin or getting an antibiotic. You know, you go in and you'll get an ozone, you know, a shot of ozone therapy. It'll be the natural way of doing it. But right now, 
we've got 400,000 people dying, yeah. and we could save another 200,000 people if they would just simply call up Dr. Howard Robbins, bring him into a hospital, and just let him treat a few people and see whether or not I'm right. Sure, it sure to do this. Yeah, it sure seems worth testing and and uh, running a controlled experiment to determine whether or not uh, this is legitimate, which it sounds like it is. Did you ever get any kind of acknowledgement from any of these people that you sent the information to? I got it. I actually started to go out of the country. I got acknowledgements from uh, 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 Germany, Angela Merkel, somebody from her office. I got mm-hmm. acknowledgement from uh, uh, Macron from France, and I got acknowledgement from Trudeau from. Canada and someone from uh, Switzerland. I didn't get anything from Pence. I wrote to uh, Vice President Pence. I wrote to President Trump. I wrote to Fauci three or four times. Nothing. Never got a letter back from Nothing. him. Uh, never wow. got a letter back from any of the senators that I wrote to, any of the governors that I wrote to. I think it's very sad because what you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm totally agreeing with you. Let's test it. Yeah. See if it's right. I, I, you know, sounds like it's got some promise. Let's give it a shot. I mean, if anything, uh, if we rule it out, we rule it out. But if we find it has the benefits that it seems to have, then man, that's a terrific uh, turn in the right direction. Um, Mark, we're almost out of time here. Before we go, I want you to let people know where they can get the books. You said the new book can be pre-ordered. Yes. Um, Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Um, and again, the, the name of the new book is called Tesla, Wizard at War, uh, The Genius, the Particle Beam Weapon, and the Pursuit of Power. And my other book, Wizard, the Life and Times of Nikola Tesla, that's you know, the product of 14 years of daily research. It's got 1,000 endnotes. It's got 400 letters. Um, it really is the definitive book of Tesla's life. And uh, it's, just, it's just a great read. I, you know, on some level, J.P., I can't believe I wrote it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I look at it. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, this is a great book. I'm you know, glad heard, I, I'm I've the heard, guy who wrote it. I've heard some people, uh, some people who write books of that of that caliber, uh, they almost go, not that they go into necessarily a trance, but they kind of get so focused they write, they don't even realize the product that they're producing until after the fact. Is that what happened to you when you wrote this? I was just so into it. Yeah. His, his life was just so fascinating. He's such an interesting guy. And I'm, you know, I'm very thankful that Elon Musk kept the name of Tesla Motors. He bought the company, and he was an Edison man, and he did, you know, he he, he could have changed the name of it, uh, but that's another reason why it's a great success of of uh, Tesla, because Elon Musk is the Tesla of today. Yeah. You know, yeah. It was a SpaceX and yep. an electrical car and uh, his batteries and and renewable energy. He's into all of that, um, and he's an inspiration just like Tesla. That, uh, and, and the Silicon Valley people are very into it. The other thing I would like to say, though, is, you know, the Silicon Valley's made a ton of money on Tesla's inventions, and we need money for the Wardenclyffe. Uh, we want to build a, a museum there. We were able to purchase the uh, uh, the property due to Matt Inman and his Oatmeal website. Um, we needed a million dollars, and he was able to raise it in, in over a week. Um, and we got the property, oh, wow. but we need about twenty million thereabouts, and it would be nothing for Apple to donate a couple million dollars for Elon Musk to donate, you know, just a tiny percentage of his stock, which is now eight hundred dollars a share. Um, and we could build a, a a center of education and learning. It's right near Stony Brook, um, and it's just a wonderful thing. Tesla is such an inspiration, you know. He, it's a. Uh, did you see that new movie, the, the the Queen's Gambit? I haven't seen that. No. Well, it, it's it's just it's a movie about a chess prodigy, and the point that I try to make is it celebrates intelligence, 
And that's what Tesla is. He celebrates intelligence. You look at him, he's, he's trying to help the world. He creates inventions, you know, fluorescent lights instead of burning your hand on an electric light. You, you, you have a light that only produces light. It's, it's cold. It's, it's not wasting it in heat. And his electrical power system, wireless communication. As I mentioned, he figured out how to multiply frequencies. He figured out how to create an unlimited number of wireless channels. He is the inventor of the foundation of cell phone technology. The more you study him, the more interesting he is. I mean, I've been studying his life for 40 years, and I keep learning new things all the time. It's just incredibly fascinating. It is amazing. We're going to have to have you back to talk about some of these other ideas that we didn't get to tonight. But, uh, Mark, thank you for being here. Where can people follow your work? You have a website. Yes, just my name, MarkCypher.com, M-A-R-C-S-E-I-F-E-R. Dot com And uh, my email address is on there. I don't know why people hide their email address. I'm <laughs> very open to speaking to you know anybody who, who has something to say, and uh, it's all available there. Well, that's great. Thanks for being here tonight, and thanks for sharing all of this with us. Thank you so much, and thank you for all your questions. You, you were right on target in everything that you asked, and uh, this was a great joy uh, to speak with you, J.B. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.